Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Welcome to The Rest is Politics, Question Time, with me, Rory Stewart. And me, Alistair Campbell. And Alistair, I'm going to start you on high constitutional subjects. Oh, Tilly Bunn, what are your views on prisoners' right to vote? Broadly in favour. I'm very much in favour. I cannot understand why anyone shouldn't have the right to vote, whatever they've done. And, and uh, with this, I'm, and this was one of the big fights, of course, that Cameron picked with the European Commission on Human Rights. He said that prisoners' right to vote, I think, made him sick. And it was a very uncomfortable bit for me as an, a conservative MP in the early Cameron era, because I am instinctively in favour of it. We've talked about this before. Our prison system doesn't operate as it should in terms of rehabilitation. And this would be part of that process, making people feel that even though they were locked up or whatever they'd done, that they were they could remain part of the democratic process and, and take an interest and so forth. So we're agreeing agreeably on that one, Rory. Very good. Uh, now... You, I'm sure, because I know how you Tory empire lovers love to celebrate the big dates in history. I'm sure you've remembered that we're in the week of the 100th anniversary of the establishment of the Free State of Ireland. Ah, my goodness. That's a big, it's a big date, isn't it? So there we are. So a couple of questions on Ireland, I think. Jane Hearn, do you think there'll ever be a United Ireland? And mm -hmm. Tommy Heatley, hi lads, you can tell he's Irish, hi lads. On December the 17th, here in Ireland, we'll be getting a new Taoiseach without an election, because this was in the programme for government when Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the Greens went into coalition two and a half years ago. So Michael Michal Martin is going to hand over to Leo Varadkar. Do you think this is grown-up politics? Now, I thought that was right up your strata, Rory. Yeah, very good. Well, what do you, what do you reckon about a new Taoiseach without an election? I mean, I, I think in a representative system, that's fine. But you've often got a bit uncomfortable about that. You often su suggest that you think that there should be elections if there's a new leader. No, I've got uncomfortable with the, the fact that the Tories keep changing their prime minister and just allowing their members and their MPs to decide who it should be. But this was part of the, you know, they have a, a system with, which tends to coalition government. This was part of the deal that was done, that one leader gets to be Taoiseach for the first bit, and then the second leader, the other leader gets to be Taoiseach the second bit. And I think it has felt very grown up. And it's one of the reasons why I think Ireland is doing pretty well at the moment. What do you think on, what do you think on United Ireland? Um, I think it's more likely than uh, than Scotland leaving the UK right now. And how's how's it going to come about? Demographic change, more more people who are naturally more nationalist, more Republican, becoming the majority, or younger people not feeling the same identity politics they used to feel. Yeah, all of all of that, um, and Ireland's I think growing sense of its own confidence. I think actually one of the <laughs> the last time I was in Dublin, um, the sense I was getting actually that I think the people of the Republic are less sure than they were. It's a very interesting thing. Less, less, less certain they want to integrate Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think both, are, both are unlikely. Now, Edna, Rory, has a great question. 
why is Rory still a Tory? Ah. Nice six-word question. Let's have a six-word answer. Tradition, prudence, history, landscape, small communities. Right, that's six words. I wasn't a very great answer. It wasn't very convincing, that, Rory. Six, six words is pretty tough. Go on, give us six, six, six words on why you're Labour. I believe in equality of opportunity. Very good. Well done. There you go. Steve Alexander, has it ever occurred to Rory that he's been a disastrously poor judge of character? In recent weeks, he's defended the appalling Hancock, Javid, Zahawi, Keegan and others. The list of offences committed by the above is too long to list, but they're all unfit for office. Well, that's, that's one that I think goes to the heart of something we were talking about in our recent main pod, which is trying to get a rounded picture of politicians. I think I, I actually get very disturbed when I read these kind of things and see the kind of immense vitriol on Twitter. There's a kind of dehumanizing, polarizing attempt. All he, all he, said, all he said is they're appalling. They're, they're all liars, unfit for office. Oh, yeah, that's true. He did say that. And it's part of a much, much bigger trend, which is basically to, and I, I think it's very dangerous because it'll come back and bite Labour too. If we get into the habit of dehumanizing people and assuming that they're all cardboard cutout villains and not trying to see them in the round. Now, within those people, I've got different views on many of them. I, I, I'm not particularly a fan of Matt Hancock. So I, I, I'm surprised he thinks I particularly defend Matt Hancock. In fact, I've told a number of anecdotes on the, on the show about why I don't really disapprove Matt Hancock. Uh, Sajid Javid, I, again, is somebody who I think has got a wonderful life history, but he's not something I've particularly praised. Madam Zahawi, I've talked about as being a good travel companion and somebody who was friendly and trustworthy in Parliament, but I agree with you. He's said things recently which, which worry me. And Gillian Keegan, I think, is a real star who had a difficult interview. Now, can, I tell you, can I say something about Gillian Keegan? I was at a conference of health service people in Liverpool last week, several hundred, and somebody asked me about Matt Hancock being in the jungle. And there was a sort of titter around the room and blah, 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 blah. The question was whether I would ever do it. And I said, no. And I then said, just to make a serious point, hands up anybody in this room who doesn't know that Matt Hancock was on I'm a Celebrity. And nobody, every single person in the room knew that. I then said, hands up anybody who can tell me the name of the education secretary. And not one hand was raised. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure that's right. I think, it's, I think that will often be the case. But Rory, you keep telling me she's great, but what is she doing as education secretary? So she's been education secretary for, I guess, four or five weeks. And I think uh, people, uh, even, even when Labour were in, I think people would have struggled to name Gordon Brown's defence secretary. Who was Gordon Brown's last defence secretary? That's not the point. That's not the point. I'm asking what she does. Well, I think, I think she's thoughtful. I think she's serious. And I think it's unrealistic to expect within four or five weeks people to have heard of the Education Secretary's name. I think it's not unrealistic to expect that the Education Secretary would have done something or said something that, for example, my partner, Fiona, who spends all her time focused on education policy, might actually have said over breakfast or over dinner one day, oh, I see Gillian Keegan said so-and-so and so-and-so. What she just says to me is that she doesn't seem to do anything. <laughs> okay, here's a question coming. Liberal, this is something called twang, is a much used word which seems to mean almost anything. How would you define it? I suppose the broad definition is people who, who believe in the freedom of others. Um, but I agree with that. It's quite a good question, though. I think it has become a sort of, you know, anybody who's vaguely progressive. For example, I, I remember Miriam Gonzalez Durantes, who is 
comes from a very political family. Dad was a politician, obviously married to a politician. Nick Clegg does politics herself. I remember her telling me that she, under no circumstances, that she considered me really to be a liberal. I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, so I, I think liberalism is a really profound and important tradition, but it's not a tradition that finds much space either in the Labour Party or in the Conservative Party. I think liberalism is really exemplified by the Canadian Liberal Party, by the, the current ruling party in Canada. And I think it's a very, very different tradition. It's a 19th century tradition, which didn't own much either to the socialist movement or to the conservative movement. And it's a, a particular progressive vision based on rights. I think it's based on the rights of the individual, as opposed to other views of tradition or the state. Yeah. Now, listen, Rory, I want to give you another critical one. This, is, this one's directed at both of us, actually. Ronald Young. Some of us, I love the way that people speak for lots of other people. Uh, he doesn't name them. Some of us are losing patience with your centrist predictability. I find it significant that neither of you care enough to show any concern for the further infringement of freedoms from the new policing act. This is, I put this one into the, into that barrel of questions where people get angry if we don't talk about things. Uh, when we're getting thousands of questions asking us to talk about absolutely everything. Um, but I am, I am just because we haven't discussed it on the podcast doesn't mean that I'm not deeply concerned about it. And in fact, I can tell Mr. Ronald Young that when it was going through Parliament, I went down to Parliament to express my support for Mr. Steve Bray, the excellent uh, anti-Brexit campaigner who stands outside Parliament and gives it to the Tories the whole time because I felt that part of the reason behind this bill was to get him off the streets. I also was very concerned to see that it was largely based, the bill, on the work of one of these right-wing think tanks that had taken a very large donation from Exxon. Uh, so we shouldn't be at all surprised that it's partly about going for the stop the oil people. Now, I, I think it's fair enough to sort of look at whether some protests cause too much inconvenience, but I agree with Ronald Young that I think this bill is absolute overkill and in many elements profoundly anti-democratic. Just, just to, to sort of explore this, honestly, one of the things that you were quite famous for in the early Blair years is being actually more sort of hardcore and right-wing on security, tough on crime stuff than many traditional liberal critics. And you were reminding us, weren't you, that you brought forward this idea of taking somebody to a cash point to get their money and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Sorry, please don't give that the time of day. Dismiss it from your thoughts. So what would you have done <laughs> if the public were in, an, in a rage about this? And actually, Keir Starmer, who you're currently very, very fond of, has made very strong comments in favour of being tougher against climate protesters and objecting to them disrupting people's lives. So clearly he thinks, as a Labour leader, that it's pretty fruitful to, to lean hard into this, that people are pretty fed up with this. I do desperately want Keir Starmer to be prime minister, but actually one of the things I don't particularly appreciate is the, are these areas where I think sometimes Brexit being the most obvious example. In fact, I've written my column in the New European this week about Brexamurta. Both Sunak and Starmer don't want to call out the disaster that Brexit is wreaking upon the economy. They want to pretend that they can fix it somehow. And I think on this as well, I, I, I think that I think you have to call things out as you see them. And yes, of course, it's incredibly disruptive, but do they really need all the new powers that are in this bill to deal with that? There have been protests before which the police have been able to deal with. 
So I, I think this is part of the, we've talked about this so much, I think it's part of populism, I think it's part of polarization. If people carry out criminal offences now, they can get done for it. I think this is, this is, it's like the voter registration thing, you know, the voter ID. It's making, it's, it's taking a problem, exaggerating it, then saying you need these draconian measures to deal with it. Well, th- there is one thing. I mean, I, I felt so. I was a justice minister, and I had to deal with sentences and new laws as part of my role. And it was very striking how many Labour and Conservative MPs would come to me asking for new legislation, often to deal with the tragedy in their constituency. So there was yeah. the MP from St. Helens wanted Violet Grace's law, which was to make sure that people who killed infants in traffic accidents would be prosecuted for, for murder, given a life sentence. Tom Tugendhat wanted something called Tony's Law, which was going to be because a, a young boy in his constituency had been so badly beaten by his parents that he'd been left mm. um, disabled for life. Mm. And I, as a minister, tended to resist those things because I wanted to try to keep control of the number of people going to prison. I thought that difficult cases make bad law and that there's a reason not to keep sending people to jail for life, even when there are horrific local constituency things. But this conservative government have taken all these laws through from Labour and Conservative. Mm. Laws often arranged around a single person's name. Was this a phenomenon in your time that you'd have these things called Violet Grace's law or Tony's law or Sarah's law? Or- yes, there, there were. I mean, we had it recently, didn't we, with, with Sarah's law, Sarah Everard. And then there was, um, there was the, was it Laura's law, the um, Laura Payne? I actually was looking up this recently when writing the book, and I came across one. Do you know? Do you know about Buster's Law? No, go on. Buster's Law. What's Buster's Buster, Law? Buster's Law was in New York, and and Buster was a cat, uh, and Buster was set on fire by some young hoodlum, and there was such an outrage they brought in Buster's Law, and and it did actually make cruelty to animals a felony. So I'd say that was quite a good one. But there were look. Sometimes individual cases can reveal a bigger truth which has to be addressed. But I think you're right to be cautious about these. Um, but I think on on Ronald's point about, he seems to think that, you know, because we haven't talked about this, somehow we don't care about it. I do wish that, you know, I, th- I, I think most of our reasonable listeners would understand we cannot cover every single issue every single week. But I, I do think that we have a very, very right-wing government. And I think that Sue Ella Braverman, I think we've seen it on asylum and immigration. We've seen it on Rwanda. We've seen it on some of the things that she said and done in relation to criminal justice. I think that the part of populism is to see a problem and think, how do I exploit that politically as opposed to how do I address that problem? And I think in relation to protest, I think if we stop, you know, you you can now be stopped from attending a protest because you've got form into, and not necessarily even criminal form in having cause disruption at a protest before. Protest is meant to be disruptive. Yeah. Well, so what, what at the heart of this, isn't it, is again and again what's happening is that politicians are hearing that they can't do something because of the law. And then they're trying to write new laws to give themselves new powers to do things which previously haven't been allowed to happen. Um, on that, should we, should we take a break? Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. 
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is Politics Question Time with me, Rory Stewart. And me, Alistair Campbell. Right, Simon M.W., why has Starmer decided to back himself into a corner with Brexit, the single market, and freedom of movement, when all he had to do was stay quiet, sit back, and allow the Tories to implode? He'd already had a poll explosion, so why did he decide to toss a large percentage of his supporters under a bus? Um, Well, this is what we've been talking about before. I I think that Keir's decided he's somehow got to be more Catholic than the Pope. On Brexit, um, I think all he needs to be saying about Brexit is that this is the Tories' deal. They've made a complete mess of it. It's doing massive damage to the economy, our standing in the world. We're not revisiting the decision, but we are going to have to fix this deal. And there are certain areas that you could point to. We could start to sort of indicate the areas where that could be done. Um, but instead of which, I think he feels he has to emphasize. Um, and in this, for example, that you won't have heard this. This morning on the radio, he was asked whether growth would be would benefit from being in the single market. Now, he, he, he said no. Now, it's fair enough to say we're not going back in the single market, if that's what he thinks, right? But it, as a matter of fact, there's not an economist in the world, apart from the two or three, you know, Brexit people, who um, who don't think the answer to that question is yes. So I think it's, it's very, very political, but I think he underestimates how many – the, the question said, throwing people under a bus, that conference I mentioned in Liverpool, a woman came up to me and said, look, I, I can't vote for Labour when it's like this. So I think he's got to be a little bit careful on this. Elliot Grant Conlon, does Alistair still use the jam jar analogy when coping with periods of depression? After reading Living Better, <laughs> I still think this is one of the best ways of coping with mental ill health. Will you tell us about your jam jar analogy? Oh, my God. It'll take me ages, Roy. That is my jam jar there. I never go anywhere without my jam jar. My da- jam jar is a tool that I use for depression. 
I should be talking about my jam jar in like, Glasgow University on Wednesday when I do a speech about mental health. I mean, yeah, look, I'd be here all day if I talk about jam jar. It's basically, it's there's your genes, there's your life, and you grow your jam jar with the things that help you to deal with depression based on experience, based on what you like doing in your life. And when we've got more time, I'll, I'll, I'll say it in more detail. But thank you very much for the book plug. Very good. What about this one? Yeah. Does Alistair agree with Tony Blair, says Hannah Lakin, in his interview with the rival podcast news agents, how dare he, that's a joke, I don't mind him doing them, they need a bit of help, in which he inexplicably describes Matt Hancock's decision to join I'm a Celebrity as Courageous. We can deal with this one very, very straightforwardly. No, I don't. Okay, that's fairly straightforward. Uh, David, have Rory and Alistair ever considered doing ASMR? Do you know what ASMR is? No, what's ASMR? It's, it's a sleep, it's a falling asleep thing. But I often listen to the podcast in bed at the end of the day, so I usually fall asleep before the end of each episode, ah. which means I then end up hearing Alistair and Rory talking about Brexit in my dreams. What could be happier than that? But it's, I think this is maybe, in our early episodes where you put a bit of pipe music in at the end, maybe why some people were a little bit surprised. They may have been dozing off at the moment at which the... The bag started, the drone started off. <laughs> I, I bumped into a woman the other day who said, I love your podcast. She said, what I do is I wait till the, the episodes are all downloaded for the week. I see how long they are. I divide the time by seven so that I can listen to it every evening. Oh, that's lovely. So Peter Kendall, ready for this? What, what can yep. we older men do to heal the rupture that has young males see their only future in gang-based criminality? and the only way to gain respect in provoking fear. I feel we failed miserably to set an example to inspire younger people. What do you make of that? Uh, I think some young people there. I, I, look, there's no the gang thing is, is a real problem in many, many parts of the, of the country, but I think we've got to be really careful with this. Most young people, in my experience, are not criminals, are not gangs, are not doing bad stuff. I think they're trying really, really hard to do well at school, do well at university, get on the job market, get on the housing ladder and all these things. So I do agree that role models for young people are incredibly important. But I, I, I just think if we sort of give the sense that every single young person out there is sort of rampaging around in gangs, I think that's a, a, a very false picture. Very good. Last question from you. And then I think we should wrap it up. Uh, well, the last question in that case is from Kathy Fugue. Why is it always Rory who calls time on the podcast? Well, I'm afraid uh, there's no time to answer that question, so I'm going to call time. The reason there's no time is because this is, this is it's actually the fourth part of this, because I must admit the third part, I had to interrupt it to go and take a phone call. And Rory's got 45 minutes to get from where he is. You're going to miss the national anthems, Rory. And I love the national anthems. And by the way, one thing I'll tell you, Rory, the Japanese fans are unbelievable on two counts. One, they have this song that they sing literally for 90 minutes. It will give you a headache, but you'll love it. And the second thing is they clear up all their litter when they leave the stadium. Looking forward to both those things. I will report back. Thank you, Alistair. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. 